you will turn with me to First Peter. First Peter chapter one. We'll read verses one and two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Lord, we just ask that you just continue to meet with us now. I echo my brother Ed's words, dear Lord, just uh, may there be a special anointing on Ben this morning. Lord, I just thank you so much for his heart for us, uh, his willingness and desire to minister to us, dear Lord, just speak a good word through him, encourage him, and likewise us through him. In your name, amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, Let me open in prayer, and thank you, Joe. God, I pray you'd bless this time as we study 1 Peter. I pray that you would help me to speak truth and you'd help our ears to hear truth. Lord, and I pray uh, that this message would just change us um, and help us to give give you lives that give you glory. Um, And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I haven't uh, preached a sermon since uh, probably 2013. Uh, Jill and I were living in Colorado. We had uh, we lived there for three years, and during that time uh, we attended a church plant. And probably about a year, a year and a half into that uh, time, um, I was an elder, Um, and uh, we also uh, also the planting pastor changed, and so there were plenty of opportunities to to preach. Um, A lot of a lot of change was happening. Uh, and, I, and I just want to acknowledge uh, Pastor Scott Kelly. Um, he died last year, uh, but he was a great source of encouragement. He was a good mentor, a good friend. Um, we love him and his family dearly. Um, and, it, and he preached through First Peter while we were there. And it was uh, really, you know, first during that time that I came uh, to, I think, you know, really love, um, love this book. Uh, Yeah, so um, one of the reasons I really came to love this book uh, was, um, was this verse, 1 Peter 2, 17. Uh, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Right? You know, I don't know about you, but I've always felt uh, aware of the judgments of others. Right? And I've known how, you know, if you're in a position, um, like lots of people have positions where they have to interact with people publicly and they're always kind of putting themselves out there for others' opinions to, to kind of, uh, you know, be part of that. If you're in school, um, you know, potentially you feel the judgment of your professor, of the grades you get, of your parents who look at your grades. Um, you know, there's always this sense that, you know, we can, we can turn to fearing others, fearing their opinions. Um, uh, but it can rob us of joy and confidence if that's where we're at, right? Um, and, I, and I love First Peter because it taught me uh, that by rightly fearing God, right, above all else, um, honor and love can flow from my heart, right? If I'm timid, uh, I struggle to love, right? Um, if I'm on the defensive, uh, I struggle to love and honor other people, right? 
Um, but this concept of rightly fearing God is part of a larger message in 1 Peter about living a life that's made possible only through Jesus Christ. Right? It's a life that exudes the reality of, um, of a new kingdom, right? this, this kingdom of refuge. Uh, and that kingdom of heaven, while at the same time um, being present as elect exiles in this world, right? that, glo- that groans under the weight of sin. Right? So we are simultaneously elect exiles in a kingdom of refuge. Um, and what we need, we need this refuge and security. Um, so I, I wanted to start off by, by thinking about like a thought experiment. Uh, and this uh, thought experiment is sort of like, imagine you're a perfect neighborhood. Um, I won't fill in all the details since people like different styles of houses, different yards. Um, some people like stuff that's hilly, uh, maybe with a creek uh, for scenic beauty. Uh, but uh, some things people agree on. Those could be things like nice sidewalks, um, you know, safe and walkable, neighbors who are friendly and take care of their stuff, and they'll take care of your stuff if you're on vacation. Um, neighbors who care about you, neighbors who you can trust, right? Maybe that you trust so much you'd let them watch your kids. Um, a safe street, right? Kids outside where they can play and you don't have to worry about cars racing by. Um, right? Maybe a town with a wonderful mayor and a, and a good governor, right? Who are so um, kind of honest and trustworthy, right? That people just celebrate the good work they do on behalf of their communities, right? So, so what fruit would that community enjoy, right? What fruit would it enjoy? It would, en- it would be neighbors doing good for other neighbors, right? Lives in an entire community that's filled with honor and love and respect, right? Not only would we do good, but we'd anticipate the needs of others um, and serve them proactively, right? But let's talk about reality, right? It's never quite that good. Um, You know, some people might just have one sidewalk or no sidewalks, um, so it's not super walkable. Uh, You might have renters next door, and they're always moving in and out. You don't get to know them as well. Uh, You know, some people might put up yard signs that you agree with. uh, You know, other political signs you might not agree with. Um, you know, some cars don't pay attention to the kids. Uh, there might be a registered offender a block away, an e-cigarette store on the corner that brings in lots of customers, and local leaders that don't always share your values, and you're not always sure you can trust them, right? So, uh, you know, that level of insecurity could describe Rochester, right? But imagine, you know, a place, you know, in, where the persecuted church is, or imagine a place like Syria, which has been torn by war for the last several years, right? What, what fruit would that produce, Right? It would be you know, fear right, to be out. It would be fear to let your kids be out. Um, right? You'd seek hope through power. Right? So uh, you'd want to be aligned with the most powerful forces so that you, know, you could be on the winning side. Right? You, might, you might have lack of trust towards neighbors and a desire to protect what's yours rather than bless others with what you've got. Right? But Peter is effectively saying, because of what Jesus has done, right, though you remain exiles at times opposed, oppressed, sometimes significantly, You can await for this new heavens and this new earth we saw in Isaiah with confidence and live right now as if it has come. Uh, Your external circumstances might be bad, but live as if it's good. Uh, And uh, here's some verses. um, Here's some verses that sort of show the the, the good life according to 1 Peter. Um, This could be your best life now. Uh, And... uh, Right, so th- these are some of the just like the excerpts from uh, from First Peter. Right, in this you rejoice. Right, be prepared for action. Hopeful, have a brotherly earnest love. Chosen, you're chosen and precious. Have honorable conduct, good deeds. Live freely. Honor others and leaders. Have unity and sympathy. Bless others. Seek peace. Have no fear. Gentleness and respect. Self control. Hospitable. Serve others. You're blessed. Um, humility. Free of anxieties. Right, that is the good life according to First Peter. Um, it's beautiful, 
right? So, uh, so let's do a little context on First Peter and kind of where and why it was written. Um, so it was written to churches in modern-day Turkey. Um, so those, those places like Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus, um, those were regions, right, of, of, of a country that, you know, spanned, you know, 500 miles. So it's a big spread-out area. Um, it's a long ways from Rome. It's over in Italy. Uh, long ways from Jerusalem on the bottom right-hand corner. Um, you know, so it's a, a long ways from, like, the major, you know, the capital city or the holy city of the Jews. Um, so, you know, these were exiles. They were, they were separate, for sure. Um, and they were scattered abroad. Right, so an exile, right, is a stranger, right, a person who doesn't feel they're in their homeland. Um, they're certainly distinct or separate, uh, perhaps rejected for that. Um, they could be, well, typically they're minority, right? They're, they're going to be a minority group in, in whatever region they're at. Um, the majority run things, and so most of the concerns in the, 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 the public discourse are going to be the majority's concerns. Um, so you're not going to be in a position of power, really. Um, the exiles are likely to reject a lot of the traditions of the majority culture, so that may kind of set them apart. Um, and, uh, and they may reject some of the morality of the majority culture. And so people's gut reaction you know, will be to, to slander or spread gossip or half-truths or insults just because you know, they just seem different. Um, and, uh, and, and beyond that, right, they were immersed in a culture right, for these particular exiles. This was the, the early Roman, it was the Roman Empire uh, just after the time of Christ. Um, and it was an empire that worshipped not one, but many gods. Um, and the emperor, who elevated himself to a godlike status, right? It was a government that used taxpayer dollars to build giant temples, right? Many of which are, you know, like wonders of the world kind of things. I mean, they, they were just engaged in a lot of things that the Christians would have, would have you know, totally disagreed with. Um, and so what was the scope of the suffering? Um, so if we look through First Peter and kind of collect all the... Um, you know, the, the examples of kind of suffering, what it meant to be an exile in First Peter, uh, this is them. I mean, they were exiles. They were grieved by trials, uh, rejected by men, uh, sojourners. Um, uh, they were waging their, there was, you know, passions of the flesh were waging war against their soul. Um, they had to be subject to the emperor. Uh, there was going to be ignorant talk of people. Um, they had to be subject to unjust masters, endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. They were to do good and suffer for it. Um, reviled, experience evil and reviling, suffer for righteousness' sake, to be slandered, to be reviled for good behavior, um, to not be surprised at the fiery trial that they encounter, uh, to be insulted for the name of Christ, to suffer as a Christian. Uh, they would have an adversary, the devil, and they were to resist and stand firm in their faith. And their suffering was not unique to them, but was experienced uh, by the brotherhood throughout the world. Right? Um, and there definitely would be uh, intense persecutions. There would be arrests of Christians and martyrs. Uh, it isn't clear, right, First Peter describes that level yet. But in the decades that followed, for sure, I mean, there were three uh, emperors, Nero, Domitian, and Trajan, over several decades between about A.D. 50 and, and 120, um, where there were, like, government-sanctioned persecutions of Christians and arrests, and, uh, um, and, and there were martyrs um, for their faith. Right? And so the fact that Peter doesn't give us a huge amount of detail about the specific opposition these Christians had um, is one of those spirit, uh, you know, I think, inspired things. So rather than getting caught up, is our level of suffering quite that you know, bad, or, or maybe theirs was worse, or maybe it wasn't as bad? Um, no, we just say this is applicable to all Christians everywhere, um, even today. Right? So that is, uh, you know, all Christians everywhere are exiles, and yet they are members of this kingdom of God. They have this dual citizenship. Um, and it's so interesting that Peter, despite all of the crazy stuff right, that the Roman Empire did, 
He did not argue uh, for separation of, uh, well, it wouldn't have been church and state. It would have been pagan temple and state. Um, like, you know, uh, he wasn't like the Maccabees. Uh, he didn't push for an armed rebellion against Rome, um, for an independent you know, Jewish state or Christian state in this case. Um, you know, no, Peter followed in the footsteps of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who preached that a kingdom that was already present, right? Peter... Um, preached that this kingdom, which was inaugurated by the coming of Jesus, uh, and, and it would be fulfilled with the second coming of Jesus, and it would be fulfilled with the establishment of the new heavens and new earth, right? Isaiah gave us a foretaste of that new creation, and, and Peter preached that we should live like it's here now. Um, so the sermon is going to look across all of 1 Peter and, and follow this pattern, which is basically there is a spiritual reality uh, there is a manifestation in the life of believers, and there's some outward visible witness, which other people notice. Um, and so, uh, so that's going to be the pattern, and we're going to look across all of, uh, all of First Peter. So we're going to bounce around to a bunch of different passages. Um, so first off, the first spiritual reality we've got is uh, look to heaven, not behind. Uh, some good verses for this, right? First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, So we have this imperishable, unfading, undefiled inheritance that's kept in heaven, right? It is made real by the resurrection of Jesus, right? Trials and testing may come, but they ultimately will produce praise and glory and honor. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, and this is at the very end of the book, uh, reminds us, uh, whatever weakness you endure now, it will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Right? So there is, there is great hope, um, the hope of heaven. And what is the manifestation in the life of the believer? Right? Well, first is the trials and setbacks. We, we can have confidence they're not mere setbacks. Um, but it results in an even more genuine faith. Right? So that's a great comfort. Um, I think it also makes us not nostalgic, right? We're not going to look back at the past, but we're going to look ahead, right? We're not going to look back for the good old days and and say, well, I wish that's what we had, right? We're going to look to heaven like Isaiah um, at the new heavens and new earth, right? Part of the problem with nostalgia is I think it distorts truth, right? It, It elevates the good things that were accomplished, right? While looking past a lot of painful memories and ongoing offenses, right? So you could pick any decade in history, And you're going to find plenty of immorality, both on a personal and uh, a national scale. There's a really interesting example of this uh, from right here in Rochester. Uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, in 1852 at Rochester's Corinthian Hall, uh, delivered an address on July 5th. um, And it was titled this, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? And I'll just quote just a little bit of it. And he said, What to the American slave is your Fourth of July? I answer a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty an unholy license, your national greatness swelling vanity. 
And he went on, right? So there was this, this amazing contradiction where people were celebrating the glories of what had been achieved in independence from British rule, while at the same time enslaving millions of people. And it, I think in that way, you know, nostalgia uh, distorts truth because it looks to the past for something which is not that good, instead of looking to the future for something which is so much better. Right? Scripture is very clear that God's faithfulness and God's people and God's people's repeated unfaithfulness. Um, if you have time, read Psalm 104 and 105, and they recount the, the sins of God's people right throughout, um, you know, throughout um, kind of the exile into the wilderness and entry into the promised land. Um, and yet, they also record God's promised, uh, you know, faithfulness, His blessing. Um, Consider the nostalgia of the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness, right? They were looking for the, the good food of Egypt. You know, it was better than, than manna and quail. Um, and, and so they were, they were wishing for this, this second best thing, right? Just a little bit better food instead of the primary hope, which was uh, that they would have freedom from slavery, entry into the promised land, and to fulfill the promises as God's people, right? So the hope of heaven should surpass all other fleeting and imperfect hopes, right? The standard of goodness that we shoot for in society is not just our memory of a previous generation, but it's the holy, pure, and sinless heaven, right? So don't settle for something that's second best. And I think, you know, another aspect that this this could just change the way we relate to others is that as society changes, I think we need to fear less, right? Any society, when measured against heaven as the yardstick, um, is going to seem really disappointing, right? Um, all societies, uh, nations and empires, though, are going to be like fading grass. It's so interesting that, that in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, in, in verses um, 22 through uh, 25, right, he goes back to this idea of perishable and imperishable. Um, and in, in particular in verse 24, he says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And First Peter was writing in the middle of the great Roman Empire. Um, and right now, it's just a tourist destination, right? All those amazing buildings, you know, um, a few of them, you know, ruins are still standing. Um, and, but for the most part, they're crumbling or buried under layers and layers of future buildings. And, you know, um, and that's what's left, right? But the word of the Lord is still here. Okay, so, uh, so the, next, um, the next characteristic of God is to remember God's holy character. Uh, so there are, are several verses we could look across 1 Peter and see. Right? We've got um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, he's reminding us to be holy as God is holy. Not, not holy as Peter is holy, but that, that's actually um, quoting the Old Testament. Be holy as I am holy. Um, in chapter 2, right, he refers to Christians as a holy priesthood and a holy nation. In chapter 3, he exhorts us to turn from evil and do good. In chapter 4, he, he, he tells us to cease from sin. Right? And so, uh, God's character right, is evidenced in the Old Testament, revealed to Moses and others, as seen in Jesus Christ. Right? is so good, entirely opposed to evil. And, uh, and as his people were to share in that character... It's going to be imperfect, right, on this side of heaven, right? But it should, it should still be seen, right? So in terms of, you know, we're going to seem distinct. We're going to seem distinct. Um, and we should, we should focus on goodness, marking out our lives in the church. Um, and we should also remember we're not to suffer for doing evil. Uh, 
So, uh, so I think you know, part of the visible witness is going to be that you, you just don't carry on in some things that are regarded as acceptable uh, by the majority culture. Right? People should notice that, as Christians that, that we're different. Um, so let's pick an example. Right? We could pick many, but I'll pick drunkenness. Uh, I think overall most people uh, figure that if you don't drive drunk and you don't assault someone while you're drunk, whatever else happens is okay. Um, routinely, though, the Bible um, commands Christians to avoid drunkenness, right? Not just, not alcohol, but, but drunkenness. Uh, first, Peter speaks about being sober-minded, right? The idea is to be in command of your body and mind so that you can fulfill the good purposes that God's given you to do, right? We are to be different um, in that way. Uh, Peter's also very cautious to point out that, that sometimes we may suffer uh, because we're just not doing good. Sometimes we may suffer because we actually do offend people with our words or our actions. And he says there's no honor for doing wrong. Um, chapter 4, verse 15 says, But n- let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Right? So just, you know, um, you might suffer, but don't do it for uh, doing wrong. Uh, Peter does use aggressive language, though. He uses very aggressive language when dealing with sin. Right? And not so much in terms of making society combine, comply with the Bible. Right? His goal is not to get society to comply with the Bible. But it's an inward war against your own passion, right? It is resistance. It's a fight against the devil. Um, there is a fight, right? But it's not with the broader culture that worships other gods and doesn't share the same moral values. The fight is foremost in our own heart and soul, right? So 1 Peter 2.11 says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, say your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So there's a resistance we're called to, right? And that's against the devil, and it's against our own sin, right? But we don't need to go looking for a fight beyond the devil and our own hearts. Okay, so uh, the next spiritual reality um, is uh, the blessed status of God's people. Uh, That's seen in several verses, especially in in chapter 2. So verses 4 and 5 say, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And 2.7 says, So the honor is for you who believe. And 2.9 and 10 say, says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right? So, what does that do for the believer? Right? The believer has a sense of confidence that's not, not dependent on external circumstances. Um, our sense of peace and joy and confidence is not being surrounded by enough like-minded people or being in the majority. Right? It's actually um, our identity and hope in Christ. Right? So, so what is the visible witness that this creates? Right? Well, first off, because we are honored, it means we can honor others, even a pagan emperor. Um, we're blessed, so we can bless others. As verse three, chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, 
so that you may obtain a blessing. Right? So first off, right, we can do good. We can do good within the church, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our communities, the nation, the world, wherever you have an opportunity to do good. Right? You are being a blessing to others. Um, but more than that, right, we get to serve not just as do-gooders, but as royal priests if you're in Christ. You're reconciling others to God by proclaiming the gospel, encouraging other believers in their lives. Right? This is a ministry in the church where we can build up and edify one another, uh, and we can, encourage them. we can encourage each other so that we can reflect the full glory of Christ. Um, our priesthood uh, is to carry out this ministry of reconciliation, which is talked about by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? So we are to do good and to be a blessing. And that just means in all the practical ways, but it means in the spiritual ways as a holy priesthood um, that we can be a blessing. Um, the fourth, fear God. I'm not going to spend a ton of time because Pastor Reed has a, has a great uh, sermon series going on the fear of the Lord. Um, I already said a few things at the beginning. Um, but, uh, but there are several good verses, and it's not just the one I quoted at the beginning. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Um, but in chapter 3 it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And 4.19 says, let, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And if you remember some of what Pastor Reed preached in the, in the first sermon series on the fear of the Lord, um, it was this right understanding of, of the fear of the Lord as a reverential awe, rooted in a right understanding of God's greatness, right? the immensity of the universe. Right? God is so huge, so powerful, so amazing. Um, it's awe-inspiring, right? And God is trustworthy and loving. And I think in, in 419, when we, when we think of that faithful creator, um, you know, that, that's what should come to mind. Right? Your soul is in God's hands, so you can do good and bless others. So the manifestation in the life of the believer, right? when, you, when you fear God rightly, you don't fear others. Right? That, is a, that is a great comfort. Um, and if we think about how that is a visible witness, right? um, you, know, you could think of examples of other stories in the Bible, like Daniel, um, as he was arrested, even imprisoned uh, with lions, right? Um, Right? People should notice a lack of fear in us, um, a lack of fear of other people, a lack of fear of the future, right? because we have this fear of the Lord right? that just is so, um, such a recognition of God's greatness. Right? The hope is rooted in a right view of God's greatness um, so that Peter could say, you know, honor the emperor, even if that emperor is a pretty bad guy. Um, so, uh, um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the emperor would have been bad in terms of embracing a more contrary set of values, uh, worshiping other gods, right? And as I said earlier, right, three emperors actually did persecute Christians very directly. Um, and, uh, and, and what's amazing is that this lack of fear, this lack of fear that is visible to others, is actually what leads to the hope um, that is visible, right? It's the hope that Peter speaks about in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And he says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a reason to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Right? So that whole idea of having to make a defense, a defense of what? Right? A defense of what? It's that hope. Like, why are you so hopeful? Like, why do you not fear when it seems like everything is messed up and you should be afraid? Right? What is different about you? And it is in that moment where this defense that you make, this reason for the hope that is in you, it is the gospel, right? It is Jesus. And that's, that's, it should be visible, is what Peter's saying. Um, okay. Uh, the, the fifth, the fifth spiritual reality, um, God's justice and judgment. Uh, so there's a lot of verses that address judgment. I put a few in here. Um, Chapter 1, verse 17, reminds us of God as this impartial judge. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And 2, verse 23, reminds us about Jesus' example, suffering. Um, When he was reviled, when he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he, Jesus, suffered, he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, they, everyone, will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Right. So this idea that there is actually a great hope in in judgment and in God's justice... um, Right? So the, the, the Christian is not necessarily going to have a power to fix the system. Right? Our, our confidence can't always be in that. Um, and it should never be in that. There may be times when we get an opportunity to improve this world, right? to seek justice. Right? But don't be afraid if you, see it, if you don't see it come in full, because God will make justice come in full. Um, I think we can also seek peace, not revenge. Right? Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 says, Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And verse 11 says, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Right? We are to be peace, peace seekers. Um, there's a, there's a, an amazing example uh, from the Rwandan genocide in 1994 where about a million uh, Tutsis and um, moderate Hutus were killed uh, in a campaign of ethnic cleansing. It was a, it was a tragedy, and there were um, many awful stories, and some stories of kind of hope and bravery. Um, and one, one of those uh, stories is the story of a, Rwand, a Rwandan pastor who rescued about 300 people uh, during the genocide by hiding them in his church, and he describes at first the people coming to him. They were trembling and too scared to speak. All they could say was, hide us, hide us. I told everyone to go inside the church. I said, if our God is true, we will be okay. And we filled every hiding place with a person. Some were in the ceiling, some were in the cupboards, some under the floor. Only one pastor stood by our side. He came to me one night and warned me that there was a plan to attack the church. I told the news to my wife, and we both agreed that we were ready to die. And the next time the killers came, there were 50 of them. All of them had guns or machetes. They pushed straight past me and entered the pastor's residence. They began pulling people out of the ceiling. They were kicking us and dragging us along the floor. I knew this was the end. I could see death clearly. We were dragged to this very spot and put in three lines. We began to say our last prayers. 
I scanned the mob of killers for recognizable faces. Many of them were Christians. Some of them even from my congregation. Every time I recognized a face, I called to him by name and said, When I die, I am going to heaven. Where will you go? And then I pointed to the next man, and I asked him the same question, and then the next, and then the next, and some of the killers grew nervous, and they began to argue amongst themselves, and nobody wanted to be the first to kill. Soon they were threatening to shoot each other, and they began to leave, one by one, until all of them had run off. Right? So this pastor did good. Right? He had amazing boldness. Right? He, wasn't, he was so full of a sense of God's confidence. Um, he, he, he recognized the fear of the Lord. Right, more than fear of men, right? More than fear of men with guns. And he trusted that no matter what injustice may happen in this world, right, God's justice will prevail. And so he did good in that moment of darkness, right? He blessed others because the kingdom of God was so real to him. Uh, and so heaven and hell, it was not an abstraction that day in Rwanda, right? Because hell was evil crushed, right? And heaven was peace and life restored no matter um, what messed up stuff was going to happen today. Um, so judgment is part of the restoration and fulfillment of God's kingdom. And the last, I want us to look at Jesus. Um, so in first, we can look at Jesus as an example, and Peter teaches us this. Right? He says in chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Whether neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Right? So that is uh, an example for us. And I had a situation, not at ECF uh, or in my, my family, but it was where someone said something very critical and it was insulting to me. It wasn't because I was a Christian, or, but the words still stung. Um, and uh, in that moment, what was I tempted to do? Uh, naturally, uh, my first idea was to respond back in anger at that person. Uh, my second response was to try to defend myself aggressively. Uh, but Peter, right, what does Peter say that Christ's example was? Right? When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. Right? He didn't spew back anger. That's just not acceptable for the Christian. Right? The foundation is rooted in Christ's example, knowing that we are to be conformed to his image. Right? And we are to entrust ourselves to the God who judges justly. Um, so his justice is so important in that reaction. Right? But even more than an example, Jesus is our Savior. Um, so let's reflect on what that means. Right? So first, right, we might say, right, do I have the confidence to come before a mighty creator, right, this almighty, impartial, all-knowing judge, right, who's seen all of my deeds, heard all my words, known all my thoughts, all my feelings. Right, could I step forward to that judge and, and call him father rather than shrink back in fear? Right? Well, if we listen to 1 Peter 20, uh, chapter 2, 24 to 25, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Right, you might wonder, will you, will you get to experience Isaiah's new heaven and new earth? Right? Will you be there if you're trusting in Christ? Yes. Right? The believer, according to 1 Peter, is born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, again, only through Jesus, 
do we get to experience that hope? Can you experience the blessing of being part of a holy priesthood, chosen and known by God, right? Will you know that you get to be in that group? Right? Well, yes, right? Verses 2.10 says, You were not a people, but now you are. Why? Because you have received God's mercy. Through what, though? I mean, First Peter makes it very clear, as does the whole Bible, that God's mercy was through, through Jesus. So, yes, with confidence. Right? And as you comprehend right, the holy character of God, right, seen in Jesus, and you wonder, right, could I actually reflect something so good, even though I seem so broken right now? Right? The answer is yes. Because Peter reminds us that the honor to do that right, is for those who believe. Right? As you put away malice and deceit and envy and slander, right? that's Peter 2.1, and you replace it with unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Right? That's Peter 3.8. You put off the old, you put on the new, right? through the power of the Holy Spirit, and more and more you reveal the character of Jesus Christ. Right? The answer is yes, right? In Jesus, there is hope, right? And that is the hope of the gospel, first and foremost. The gospel is good news, and it is good news so powerful that even when life seems crazy bad, even when life seems dark, and the natural response, right? The natural response is to cower in fear, to bite back, to turn on ourselves, to revile, to hate, to seek revenge, right? Those are the natural responses. But in those moments, I hope you would remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And remember, it is the foundation for a new hope, right? It is the foundation for the new heaven and new earth. Though we're exiles now, um, there is a great promise to come. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, And and if trusting in Jesus is something that that you're unsure of what it means, or if you don't know um, that yet, I pray that this vision uh, for what the Christian life looks like, even in the midst of suffering, would be something that would just encourage you and inspire you, um, and that you would desire to call on him as Lord and Savior. Um, and if you're unsure how to do that, me or one of the elders or some other Christian here that you, that you trust would be full of joy to explain to you the good news of Jesus. Um, let me close in prayer. God, I thank you so much uh, for this opportunity just to look all across First Peter and to think about what our best life now in this world of suffering and sin means in light of everything that Jesus has done for us. Lord, you have laid the foundation for a great hope You are a good and amazing God. I thank you and I praise you for this. I pray you bless this time as we finish our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.